So welcome to another edition to the Developmental Disabilities Association's Encouraging Abilities podcast. I'm your host, Evan Kelly, DDA's Manager of Communications. Now this is a special podcast as we are celebrating this year's 70 years of support and advocacy for the developmental disability community in Vancouver and Richmond. Since its inception in 1952, DDA has been a power of change and an innovator for the most vulnerable people in our community. The podcast coincides with the launch of our new documentary, Doing the Impossible, the story of the Developmental Disabilities Association, put together by our videographer, David Ozier. A link to the documentary can be found on our website, which is www.develop.bc.ca. We encourage you to watch the documentary and share it on your own social channels. It really is a uh, movie to be watched. Now, the documentary spans more than 100 years and tells the uplifting story of a single pioneering organization within the larger political and cultural context that it evolved in, from institutionalization and eugenics to the civil rights movement and the role of the Supreme Court, the film does reference the bigger picture while remaining grounded in the deeply personal. But it did start somewhere. It started with a young mother by the name of B. Purdy. Her son Bob, Bobby was born with Down syndrome and instead of putting him away in an institution, which was more of con- conventional thinking of the time, she kept him at home with the family where he should be. So in 1952, she got together with 12 other families and started what would eventually become Developmental Disabilities Association. Now there's a lot more information about what they and eventually the DDA did from getting the government to fund a special school, uh, to being part of the movement that brought down institutions like Woodlands in BC, to creating infant development programs because they knew early interventions led to better outcomes, and work programs that fostered independence. Now today, DDA is a charity with over 500 staff, 50 programs and group homes, assisted living in apartments, infant development, as I said. We've got teen drop-in programs, other day programs, really great art program, not to mention our uh, nine inclusive child development centers, and the list just goes on. With all that said and done, joining me today is B. Purdy's other son, John, who was there when it all happened. So thank you very much for joining us today, John. Well, I'm glad to be here. So, uh, right off the bat, tell us a little bit about your mom. Well, my mother was born in 1908 in Vancouver, and uh, she uh, had uh, two sisters and a brother. Um, They lived uh, in Kitsilano on 5th and Collingwood. And uh, she... uh, Worked for the BC Telephone Company uh, when she got out of high school uh, as a long-distance operator. It was a depression, and uh, that was her life. She uh, ended up getting married and and uh, having two children, Bobby and myself. She. Uh, continued to have to work, uh, of course, and uh, look after us growing boys. It was a very happy family. My mother was a very thoughtful, intelligent, uh, committed mother. She did everything for her boys that she she could do with her limited resources. But uh, growing up, it was really uh, important for her to get something Bobby that wasn't there and she was in Victoria often proselytizing and lobbying and trying to get people to change their minds about these incarcerated 
victims of fate, and uh, it took a lot of uh, a lot of long nights and long uh, you know just trying to get people to steer around and think about what she thought could be made possible. So, in, in your mind, what was her goal? Well, she just didn't want these people to be forgotten and put in an institution which, when you read, see the, the documentary, was just, just horrible. Uh, in fact, it's, it's very disturbing, but it's still worth seeing. She, um, she just thought there was going to be a better way, it had to be a better way. We can't go on treating these people as if they're subhuman because they're just not if they're humans. Yeah, I agree. So, so putting Bobby in an institution was never, never something your mom ever even considered? Well, she had to consider it because she had no choice, but she struggled with the problem for quite a while because she had to work and she had to um, look after us. Uh, and have Bobby as a, you know, person who needed particularly more care, mm -hmm. just just added to her, to her challenges. But she was determined not to, not to institutionalize them. That's really the bottom line. Yeah, and we know in, in you know back in 1952, you must have been a pretty young lad then. Um, she got together with about a dozen other families. Do you remember what those families and what they were going through? Well, I didn't, you know, I was pretty young then, and, and uh, so she did this stuff, and I got it peripherally, but I, I was, in my, you know, I was probably 10 or 8 years old, so, you know, around that age, and, you know, I just felt that she was burdened, and but she didn't whine to me about it. She used to pray express her frustration at the way these parents uh, would kind of treat her because she was a woman, you know, with less respect than she felt or one should feel that she deserved. So that was my frustration as I got a little bit more aware of what she was going up against. That she shouldn't have had to uh, not only fight the government and the ignorance of the community and the medical profession and everybody else, but also her so-called co-sufferers and parents of mm -hmm. children with disabilities. So. Now, we are, obviously we're talking about you know, going to get government support to do things like help open the first special needs school, which was the Vancouver Oak Ridge. Yes. Um, and so, Finally, by 1961, after all uh, all the work and effort, uh, that happened. Do you remember that time? Like, how how did your mother feel when when she finally saw that the government was like, okay, B, you're absolutely right. This needs to happen. Here's the money. <laughs> well, it wasn't that it wasn't that sharp a, a change. No, I mean, no, it was no, a man. gradual change. I mean, things like she had to get these children, we got some candidates, some clients, and uh, how would you get them to the, pl to, to the place? You know, not everybody had a car, this was wartime and, you know, not a lot of money around. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember she got hold of a, a Packard limousine, <laughs> which was a, <laughs> 
I was probably 15 and I got in it and tried to drive it. That was kind of funny. But, <laughs> but uh, she, so she, that's just an example of what was she was trying, you know, she innovated everywhere she had to. She, she just kept driving on and kept trying harder. And it was amazing uh, to witness, but I, you know, I didn't take it in at that age. No, of But in retrospect, it was a Hitlerian effort. Yeah. Uh, so, tell us a bit about Bobby. Bobby was a typical Don's child. He, he's like most of them, nearly all of them, are warm-hearted, gentle, curious, just really nice people to be around. And uh, he had friends everywhere. One little story about Bobby was when they lived in White Rock, he used to frequent the Denny's restaurant, and they put a plaque to him in the sidewalk in front of Denny's. Oh, really? Yeah. We'll have to go get to get a picture of that. I wonder if it's still there. It's a long time ago that happened, but uh, he loved to um, play games. He and I would wrestle a lot, and he he was very weak when he was young. He couldn't couldn't walk up a curb. You know, I'd take him up for a walk. I'd have to help him get on a curb. But after a while, he got strong, and he got stronger, and he got stronger than me, and we would wrestle. My mother would <laughs> just to watch this going on and wonder if I was going to kill the little guy. He was killing me. Anyway, we had a great relationship, and he was a very warm-hearted person, as he said, and uh, he just loved life, and, and uh, my, my kids uh, loved him, and they thought he was the best. So. Now, um, you said he was very popular. I mean, that, that kind of goes against the idea that um, people with de developmental disabilities were discriminated against. A yeah. Well, they were. I mean, there were, some, there were incidences where, where you could tell that people didn't want to be... There was a lot of ignorance, you know, and in the public they'd see somebody like that, and they'd try to turn their head. You know, they wouldn't want to... You, you, you could feel, I could feel it as a little kid, you know, there was sort of a stigma associated with people that weren't normal. Yeah. yeah. And the ignorance is all gone, nearly all gone away. It's a big change in the last 50 is, years. Is that so you've noticed a big, I mean, what was that like for you as a kid growing up, sort of experiencing that? Well, it was part of my life, but I guess, or life, and, and uh, I, I mean, it's hard to really articulated it, it, it there wasn't any too many bad situations really bad situations there was one or two that, that I can still remember but it was just I mean there were also just as a sidebar there were an awful lot of people back from the war with limbs missing and mm -hmm. uh, you know I mean there was a huge amount of <laughs> um, people with disabilities yeah. not just yeah. not just mental disabilities at the time so it was a different world, totally. Yeah, that must have been an interesting time. But now you said that you've noticed a um, quite a, quite a big change. Oh, in, I think in the acceptance and, and I, I don't even like acceptance. It's a, to me, it's just that we got to have that universality approach to life. Yeah, I mean, there's been a huge change in. I mean, the Olympic Games for the Paralympics, that kind of. I mean, all mm -hmm. of those people with disabilities. That whole community has, or the has Olympics even. raised raised itself up one way or another, and uh, and uh, the community has 
you know, evolved in a good way in that respect. Mm -hmm. Now, did Bobby get a chance to go to a public school then? No, they didn't uh, offer anything for that retarded a child um, in the school system. They had special classes mm -hmm. when I went to school, but they were not as severe as, as Bobby's condition, oh, okay. so if you can call it that, yeah. And so when did, when did Bobby leave us? can't remember the, the date. Um, he would have been in his 50s. Uh, it's about which quite a few is, years ago from now? Oh yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, the lifespan of a Downs is limited. He had a yeah. great, if you can put it this way, he had a great death. He loved to play ball and baseball and golf, his mom and I. And he used to play a lot of golf. He had a great high eye hand coordination. Uh -huh. he did. And he he died rounding second base having hit a home run. Seriously? Yeah. He had a heart attack and died on second base. <laughs> wow, that's that That's a pretty good death. Home, that's you know <laughs> you can't ask for a better. Yeah. Oh, you you kind of can't. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's fascinating. He, that's, he mean, deserved it. It's, it's tragic, of course, but well, wow. Was, yeah, no, it was. I mean, frankly, my mother was relieved because she was becoming more and more concerned as she aged that she would uh, predecease him. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's a concern for a lot of parents with kids with disabilities, exactly. for sure. Yeah, and and so she was relieved by that and. And of course, pleased with the way you went. If you gotta go, <laughs> if you gotta go, <laughs> do it that way. That's that's absolutely yes, for sure. That's right. Now it's it's been stud studied and it shows that kids who grow up with siblings who have a disability are uh, are better at compassion and more empathy. Do you think that is reflected in your own life? You know, how do I know? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was what it was, you know. I mean, when you're little, you that's you don't question things. They just that's what it is, and it's you just go with that. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, I think if I had compassion that was beyond the average, it was my mother that was the the author of that. You know, I mean, she was very compassionate, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. So. Um. I think I'll ask this anyway, John. The, uh, I mean, obviously you were very young when, when DDA started, when your mother got things rolling. Yeah. Um, and you've, and you know, you've, you've met, now been able to see DDA grow and, and, and change over the years. You know, as I've mentioned earlier on, this is our 70th anniversary, so we've been around for quite some time making changes here in, in British Columbia and even Canada uh, by and large. So what sort of stands out to you in terms of how things have changed for the association? Well, what is most impactful thing for me is how Alana took this challenge on and you can see the results I mean it's an amazing achievement I, I am so delighted for my mother and for everyone who benefits from the DDA uh, that Alana came into the into my mother's life and, and they had a very good and close relationship. I was not um, as involved in those days because I was probably working and probably, you know, I don't get the chronology exactly right, <laughs> but, you know, I was distracted with 
getting on with my own life, I think. Mm -hmm. But I was so totally aware of the relationship, and I knew Alana for a long time before I got involved with the DDA in a more active way. So, I don't know if that answers your question, but... <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, you, I, and I've been to DDA for a few years now, and it's it's been very eye-opening. It's it just feels like the the future of the organization is solid, and we're moving in a really good direction. We're developing really really good programs. Yeah, and it's just a, it's just a really really great place to work. Now, um, obviously, you were around when when institutions like Woodward or not Woodward's rather Woodlands were closed. Yeah. Uh, were you sort of paying attention to that? Like, how did that? How did you feel when all that stuff sort of started coming down? Well, again, it was pretty early on. I mean, probably I was still, you know, maybe a young teenager, but probably a little younger than that. So, you know, I and my mother didn't dwell on the woodlands thing. I mean, she didn't want to burn her little child with that yeah. problem. Um, so it wasn't really in the loop, you know, I, yeah. frankly. It's, it's, uh, there's sort of two parts to this. There's the growing up as a child with Bobby, and then there's the DDA. It's mm -hmm. kind of their different mm -hmm. parts, different times. So it, it was a transition that took, well, not just 70 years. It took yes. 80. Oh, it, it takes a it takes a whole society mental shift yeah. to say that you know we these these people don't belong in institutions. They do better in the community. We have essentially proven that. Yeah, I have to say that we've certainly come a long way. DDA's made it come a long way, and other people as well. But there's still a long way to go because you know you shouldn't need to put your hand out to the politicians. To recognize, you know, that this is important. Mm -hmm. I mean, they—it's still. I mean, because of Alana's um, abilities to raise funds and steer the ship like a like a pro, uh, the DDA doesn't have a need for money, but it still needs to be supported in, mm -hmm. t in terms of the perception and I can see why you know for politicians it's not very interesting you know mm -hmm. it's not sexy if you can put that, that yeah I, I, I guess so and that's uh, but the, the nice thing is that we're seeing um, you know obviously being a part of DDA I follow a lot of what the governments are doing in terms of yeah. accessibility and, yeah. and inclusion and things like that and I think they're doing a lot of a lot of good things. Good, um, because I don't, I, you know, I'm not in the loop, so. I but but I but I, you know I, I you know on the social media chatter I do I do see people you know piping up and saying that you know we're part of the disability community and we still feel let down. Okay. So um, I mean that that's a a bigger a much bigger picture. I mean DDA we do what we do for our clients sure. and our families, but yeah. but. Uh, and, the government is, is is making moves, but obviously there's still unhappy people. Yeah, you know. But I just hope, hopefully we're just moving in that that keep, direction. Keep up the momentum. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the you've seen the, our uh, documentary. You're in the documentary, <laughs> of course. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, doing the impossible. What did uh, What did you think of that? 
Well, it brought back some pretty unhappy memories, of course, because, I, um, you know, one tends to forget these things, mm -hmm. and I want to forget them yeah. almost. And, yeah. I mean, it was very impactful. It was important to say, but I found it very disturbing. Mm -hmm. of, yeah, there's some, some, some difficult truths that, that we often yeah. have to go through, even here in Canada. I mean, the, the, the film touches on, on eugenics that the, Nazi, the Nazis in Germany employed yeah. in, in the 40s during yeah. the war. And we know that about roughly 300,000 people with developmental disabilities were killed yeah. because they you know, didn't fit into the perfect race scenario. Yeah. Um, and it's, and, but even in Canada, um, you know, when, when certain uh, laws were, uh, were changed in the 80s, um, you know, Canada was still had some of these prevailing attitudes. Yeah. Not that we're trying to kill people, but we were, you know, we were trying to sterilize people still up until I think the 80s. Wow. And uh, you know, against their will. So uh, that's changed now. Yes. You yeah. know, people with developmental disabilities now have they can, you know create their own destinies, they can make their own choices, they can foster their own independence. Yes, they can get married. They can get married, absolutely. One, one, there's Doug and Tracy, two of our people in our, uh, in our, one of our group homes. They've been a couple for, I think, 35 years. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Longer than most. Yes, yeah, indeed. <laughs> and they're, they're a delight, you know, so, it, you know, yeah. as someone, you know, speaking for myself, who came in from the outside, and didn't have experience with people with developmental disabilities coming to work for this organization is, has been extremely enlightening. And, yeah. uh, you know, we were just at a retirement party yesterday for one of our managers, and all of our clients from our group homes are there dancing and eating pizza yeah. and carrying on. It's yeah. like, this, this is just a regular party. You see all those <laughs> smiling faces. It's, yeah. uh, it's terrific. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, is, I mean, is there anything else you'd like to see happening in terms of policy or funding from a government perspective? Or well, I don't know any. I don't have any sort of granularity. But I, I guess it's just a case of c continuing on and, and prevailing. And um, we have to think about the future of the DDA post Helena. I guess is one of the things that, that it's inevitable in life. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a big uh, challenge for the continuity and future of the organization. But um, no, I don't. I don't have any offers. <laughs> <laughs> let's just let's just stay the course and hope. Yeah, I mean it's working and uh, yeah. beautifully, and there's always more can be done, and the DEA is more than anyone else aware of that. Yeah, and it's and it's it's not to say that we're the only uh, uh, dog in the show. There's lots of lots of organizations in Lower Mainland across Canada that are doing yeah. exactly what we're doing. Yeah. Um, we just happen to operate in Vancouver and Richmond. Yeah. And you know we just also want to uh, impress that you know DDA did make a bunch of. Uh, big changes and big innovations that help steer these attitudes to get to where we are today. Oh, indeed. And I mean, they've done, you know, for instance, the, the Alchemist program I thought was a brilliant idea to get a profile of each of the clients and mm -hmm. trace their progress and set it up so that there's some 
a, yeah. data, a database. Yeah, very individual. It was really disappointing that government didn't even think about using it. Mm. That's my understanding. Mm. I'm, again, yeah. I'm, I'm not in possession of a lot of the detail, but yeah, it seemed like it should have been. It was sort of made f for the job, you know. Yeah, and that was a program that helped, you know, our, an organization like ours guide uh, the lives of those people who are our clients. It, 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 it took into account a lot of uh, different things so that they could help make their own choices and, and, and choose their own futures. Yeah, I mean, Lana and I have had many conversations on how she'd try to get an alchemist uh, used by her contacts in the field, you know, mm -hmm. in the state particularly, but other parts of the world. And the bureaucracies just didn't know how to, it was too radical or too much trouble or anyway. Mm -hmm. and, and that, I think, is a, just an example of how difficult it is to change people's... Uh, yeah, that, that's the whole thrust of all of this. Change is, is extremely difficult, you know. And that, yeah. That, yeah. Going back to our new documentary, that, that was, that's basically the thrust of it. You've got you, you to make change attitudes, and that's, that's really, really difficult. And that's where you go back to your mom, B. Purdy, who literally moved mountains. You know, so it's, it's that, that's that story. Well, can how can one person make a difference? Well, she did make a difference. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? yes. So you must look back at that with an enormous amount of pride. Oh, indeed. Well, John, is there anything else that you wish to add this today? No, only to be uh, grateful that uh, the DDA is continuing to, pro to prosper and do its good work. And uh, I'll be around uh, as long as I can. To <laughs> Hopefully for much, much longer. Yeah. Right. I'm enjoying myself, so I don't want it to quit. <laughs> so you've been listening to a very special Encouraging Abilities podcast uh, here at DDA. Our guest has been John Purdy, the son of our founder, B. Purdy, who moved mountains 70 years ago to ensure that people with developmental disabilities were included, to ensure that they didn't get forgotten about in institutions, to ensure they received a proper education and were valued members of the community. All of that has been skillfully put together in a new documentary that celebrates 70 years of innovation in British Columbia. Doing the Impossible, the story of the Developmental Disabilities Association can be seen at develop.bc.ca. We encourage you to watch it, and we even encourage you to share it in your social channels. So John, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thank you.